Amen. You may be seated. Please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Luke, book of Luke chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, we should have some scattered throughout. They should be in the little uh, underneath the seats uh, around you, and those are yours to borrow or to have if uh, if you don't own your own Bible. Uh, Luke chapter 1, we'll also have the words up here on the screen as well. And we're going to start at verse 39, read on down through verse 56. Luke, a doctor and a historian, wrote this under the inspiration of the Spirit of God. This is the Word of God. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Let's pray. Father God, as the word of God goes forth this morning, I pray that you would silence and mute any evil thoughts, any evil philosophies, any evil spirit that would seek to exalt itself and its ways above that of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you would open our hearts and open our eyes so that we may see wondrous things in your word. Father, not only guide the preaching of the Word, but guide our listening of the Word as well, Father. Help us to understand and see by Your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. Thank you, Deemer. Um, It's a beautiful day today. It's a glorious day, but not because of the weather. It is a beautiful day weather-wise, but it's a beautiful and glorious day every Sunday, every Lord's Day, because the saints... Around the world gather to worship the one true God and the risen Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to put a couple of things on the screen here. And kids, I want you to tell me, what would you look at with something like this? Let's see here. If my things, All right, that is a magnifying glass. And what would you use a magnifying glass to look at? Any ideas? Small things. Very good. You would use a magnifying glass to help you see small things better. 
bugs. And your brother would use them not just to look at the bugs, too, I bet. He might use them to do something else to the bugs. Okay. <laughs> what else? Anything else? What? Small writings. Okay, words that are real small. Maybe, maybe you're like a detective and something's been written really small and you've got to see what it says. Very good. Very good. So that's what you would use a microscope for is to, to, to make something small seem bigger so that you can see it better. Right? Now, what would you use this for? Hmm. All right, Clayton? To look at the stars. Right. To look at the stars. So, unlike the little uh, magnifying glass, this telescope. Oh, Emicator, are you asking something? The moon. The moon. All right. And the stars. Now this is, you're trying to get a glimpse, a better view of something that is huge. Something that is magnificently large. And you're trying to just get a better grasp of it, a better view of it. So a telescope could help you go from seeing, well, that's just a, a night sky, right? And we all can look with our eyes, our regular eyes, up to the sky and see that at night. But what a telescope can help us do, especially something as powerful as the Hubble telescope, is to turn that into this. Wow. One of those little dots up there looks like this, or this, or this, or this. You see, there's a difference. Both of those two devices are magnifying something. One of them, though, is magnifying something that's actually very small, and we're just trying to get a better view of it. But the other is magnifying in the sense that it's helping us get a better grasp of something that is enormous and gigantic, like the night sky. And so today, in this passage, we're going to talk a lot about magnifying but the reason I use this illustration, and I've used it before, and you've probably heard it before. It's not original to me. The reason I use this illustration is because I don't want you to get the wrong kind of magnify in your mind as we go through the scripture. Because this, this Mary is going to sing a song here that Deemer read, and it's, and it's been called the, the Magnificat, okay, which is after the word where she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. So I want you to have the right idea of magnification. When we come to this text today, we are not coming at it with a, a magnifying glass. To try to get a better idea of what God is like, as if God is small. And we somehow just have to get a better understanding of God. But reverse, that we are tiny, and we're coming at it with like a telescope. And we want to see better how great God really is. So that's what we're doing today. The title of today's message is um, two mothers, two babies, two songs, one Lord. In Luke's gospel, it's very interesting. I think Luke must have liked music or something. 
Uh, if he could have had an MP3 player, perhaps he would have. But in the first two chapters alone of the book of Luke, there are five songs recorded. Five different songs. There is Elizabeth's song, which it's a very small song, which was in this text we looked at today, where she blesses Mary. Then there is Mary's song, which we're really going to focus on today, verses 46 through 55 of today's text. Later, there's Zechariah's song after the birth of John the Baptist. Then, of course, the famous song that the angels sang that we all like to repeat at Christmas time at chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. And then there's Simeon's song when Jesus is brought to the temple to be dedicated in chapter 2, verses 24 through 32. But today we're just going to look at these first two songs, Elizabeth's and Mary's, primarily Mary's, which I said earlier has traditionally been called the Magnificat. From the word magnify in verse 46 when she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. So with Mary, my desire is for us to magnify the Lord today. As we read his word, as we think about who he is, to magnify the Lord today. Let us put our eyes behind the proper type of lens and thus see and savor Jesus Christ Today, that is the title of our series, Seeing and Savoring Jesus Christ. And if you haven't been here to hear what this series is all about, normally we preach verse by verse through books of the Bible here at Harbin's, and we're doing that in a sort of way, but we're harmonizing the Gospels, and we're preaching just through the Gospels, and we're looking at the life of Christ with the attempt of trying to see Him better and thus savor Him more fully and let it transform us in the process. And so we started off in the first chapter of John and we looked at how Jesus was, is the Word and was with God and was God before the beginning of time. And then we looked at Matthew's genealogy and we saw in the genealogy how Jesus is a king. And then we looked at the announcement of the birth of John the Baptist and savored Jesus Christ in the announcement of the coming of the prophet who would, who would kind of lay the groundwork before Jesus came on the scene. And then last week we looked at the angel's announcement to Mary. And this week we're look, continuing in Luke as Mary visits her cousin Elizabeth and shares this beautiful song that we'll look at here this morning. So let's, let's start off in verse 39. Let's set the stage here. It says, In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. So she gets up, she goes quickly, immediately after hearing the angel's announcement to her. She went, as any one of us would do, to go and to see for herself the sign or the proof that the angel had given her when he told her that her cousin Elizabeth, was, who was well beyond childbearing years, was going to indeed have a child. It's not that Mary lacked faith. We see that in verse 38 she had tremendous faith. She exhibited a remarkable faith in what the angel had said in God's word. But this is simply the natural strengthening of her faith to see for herself the proof that God had offered to her. Now the journey into the hill country would be about 70 mile journey. In verse 40 it says, She entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. The baby leaped in her womb. Now this isn't just a normal baby leap for all those moms out there who have experienced having a, a child in their womb the baby moves a lot, but this is a special type of leap because later in verse 44, we see that this is a spirit-filled leap with joy at the presence of the Lord Jesus. 
that in and of itself makes this quite remarkable. One commentator remarked that this may have been the moment that John the Baptist was actually filled with the Holy Spirit because it had been prophesied, it had been told to Zechariah that his child would be filled with the Holy Spirit from within the womb. And perhaps this is the moment that that infilling happens. But regardless, this is a special leap that this baby takes. The Holy Spirit is present. And so it's no surprise in verse 44 that it says the baby leaped for joy. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is already being exhibited in John the Baptist in utero. Okay? Now, a lot of us out here struggle having joy, and we're outside the womb. All right? John the Baptist, he's already leaping for joy, and he hasn't seen anything of the world yet. All he knows is he's in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's already leaping for joy. Now, this text is remarkable for another reason. And I have to take a little bit of a side um, journey here, a side note here. It's remarkable because only persons, only people can exhibit joy. Only persons can be filled with the Spirit of God. Thus, what is alive in Elizabeth's womb and moving and leaping in Elizabeth's womb is not some blob of tissue or some subhuman life form. It is a person. John the Baptist, who while in his mother's womb is already getting a jump on his Christ-exalting, Christ-announcing job description. He is not a potential person. He is not a potential forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is a person. And so is Mary's baby. For he's already being called by Elizabeth at this point, my Lord. Elizabeth refers to the baby in Mary's um, womb, which has just been placed there by the Holy Spirit as my Lord. He is not the potential Lord. He is not a potential Christ. He is not an undeveloped group of cells that has possibility. He is the Lord already. This passage has remarkable implications on the abortion debate. But we cannot go there this morning. I'll gladly save that for another time. But we come now to the first of our two songs in today's passage. I'll simply glance quickly at Elizabeth's song and then we'll focus more, the most of our time on Mary's. It says that Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In verse 42, she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. The focus of Elizabeth's song here is the blessings upon Mary. Now remember, as we talked about last week, Mary is the recipient of God's grace and mercy, not the source of grace. She is the recipient of grace and mercy. She is blessed among women. Among women, she has been given by God's grace the greatest task any woman in the history of the world would ever be given, namely to carry and care for the Messiah, the Son of the Most High God. This is a fearful blessing that's been bestowed upon her. And, it goes on to say, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. The word and here could also be translated for, leading most scholars to conclude that the second phrase here is actually the cause or the source 
of her blessedness. She is blessed because she is carrying the most blessed of children. Now, how does Elizabeth know this? She hasn't gotten an email from Mary, a postcard or anything explaining the angelic visit to her. Well, Elizabeth knows this because the Holy Spirit has come upon her and revealed this blessedness to her. And now we see the extent of the Holy Spirit's revelation to Elizabeth because the next thing she says is, Why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Elizabeth calls the baby in Mary's womb, my Lord. Elizabeth knows that this is no ordinary child. This is the Word made flesh. This is God in human clothing, God incarnate, God with man, Emmanuel. And she knows that this is a great honor that has been bestowed upon her, that she has been granted a visit from Mary, not because of Mary, but because of who Mary is carrying. The person in her womb, the Lord, the Messiah, the Son of God. That's why the baby in Elizabeth's womb leaps. She then returns to her song about the blessing of Mary in verse 45. And she says, And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Elizabeth again uses the word Lord. Now think about this. She's used the word Lord twice now. Truly she couldn't fully comprehend what she was saying. Or maybe she did. She has said that the Lord is in Mary's womb. Mary is the mother of my Lord. But also the Lord has given Mary a word. And the Spirit was enabling Mary, I mean Elizabeth, to know all of these things. What a blessed mystery. The triune work of God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, working as one in the birth of the Lord Jesus. Truly Mary was blessed. So are all who believe in the word of God. She believed the word that was spoken to her. Mary believed what God said. Blessed are we, brothers and sisters, when we believe what God's spoken to us. When we take God's word for what it says and believe in what he says right here in this book. This is his direct word to us. As direct as the angel Gabriel standing in front of Mary, so is this word right here. And do we believe it or do we not? Is the question. Blessed is he and she who believes. Now with Elizabeth's song kind of setting the stage here. I want us to look at the more famous of the two songs. Which is Mary's song. And I mentioned earlier it's been traditionally called the Magnificat. This truly is a magnification of the Lord. It magnifies God and Jesus as God. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Thus, this is very much a magnification of Christ as well. See and Savior Christ, our Lord, our God, in Mary's song. Now, a couple of observations really quick here as we get into Mary's song. This section of scripture, as I've already mentioned, is very Old Testament sounding. I think Luke did that intentionally to, to drive us together, drive the Testaments together for us to see that God's continuing the story now. But in particular, this section where Mary is speaking very much sounds like the Old Testament because Mary references 11 different verses from the Old Testament in her song. That is remarkable that Mary references 11 different Old Testament passages in her song. She too is emphasizing the continuation of the story. And what we see here is that this young lady, probably 13 or 14 years old, 
is so saturated with the Word of God that it just sort of comes out of her. The only way she can truly magnify God is through speaking His Word back to Him. The only way she can truly magnify God is by being saturated with His Word so that, we can, so that she can see who He is, so that she can witness what He has done, so that she can hope in what He will do, and so that she can utter back to Him how utterly magnificent He is. So there's five attributes here that Mary, at least five attributes of God that we're going to look at here that Mary uh, talks about in this in this song, there's, there's probably more than that, but there's five that sort of left off the page to me as I studied the text. But, but I want to I linger here for a second because I got to thinking just this morning, she talks about magnifying and rejoicing in the Lord. Magnifying and rejoicing in God her Savior. And, and part of the reason we're doing seeing and savoring Jesus Christ is just that. We want to magnify and rejoice in our Savior. And so I got to thinking about that this morning. And I got to thinking again about Mary here. And how, why was she able to, to, to magnify and rejoice in her Lord? It's because she is so word saturated. She has the Bible just coming out of her as she sings. And so I'll say again. The most important thing you can be doing when you leave this building for the rest of this week is be spending time in the Word of God. That's the most important thing you can be doing. And the more I believe, and I'm going to take this text to be authoritative, I believe the more we are like Mary, the more we are saturated with God's Word, and, and the attributes of God are not just some sort of head knowledge we have, because she's going to say some things, God is mighty, okay, God is just. God is holy. Every one of us can hear probably say those things. Tell me some things about God. God is this. God is this. God is this. It's got to go beyond a mental understanding of, oh yeah, God's this, this, and this. And we've got to be so saturated with his word that those things that we say about God become real in our life. And therefore explode into praise. So don't leave here with a head knowledge. Great. Yeah, God's this, this, and this, and this. And then go home and don't spend time in his word. Because if you're not in his word, you know what? I don't care how big a list you can give me of how great God is. He means nothing to you if his word is not in your life and flowing out of you. That's how you have joy right there. The way you have joy, magnify and rejoice in the Lord is to have his word in you so that it just comes out. You bleed Bible. And so I can say it till I'm blue in the face. And if there's one thing you guys want to know me for when I'm dead in the grave and there's something written on that tombstone is that he told us to read our Bible. And I can't do it for you. Read the Word. Be in the Word. And you'll be more like Mary in the sense that it'll be flowing out of you. You'll be magnifying the Lord. And you'll be rejoicing in the Lord. And these words, these things, these attributes about God that Mary's about to talk about aren't just academic. They become real. So, let us magnify the Lord with Mary this morning, verse 46. And Mary said, 
My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. In the tradition of Hebrew prose, verses 46 and 47a, the first part of verse 47, parallel each other. We see Mary worshiping God with her soul, in verse 46, and then with her spirit, in verse 47. Meaning that she was engaging in worship with her whole being. It wasn't just about what she could think. It was her whole being. She was engaged in worship. Everything about her was pouring out praise and, to, and magnifying God with praise and rejoicing in God. The next parallel we see is verse 46 and verse 47 where it says her soul magnifies the Lord. And then in verse 47 it says her spirit rejoices. Hmm. Magnification of God is parallel to rejoicing in God. I don't think people that find great joy in God really know what it means to magnify God. Because magnifying God isn't about uh, some theological treatise about the attributes of God. Magnifying God actually affects the soul in such a way that God becomes so valuable to us that we, we love to talk about him. You see, people rejoice in what they love. They rejoice in what's big to them. If football is big to you and your favorite team is big to you, you talk about your favorite team. You wear clothes that reflect your favorite team because that's big to you. That's important to you. You want to magnify that even more and you want people to know I'm a whatever fan. And so it's natural to rejoice in what's big to you. And so it should be natural if you're a believer that if Christ really is magnificent, that you're a happy person. That you're a glad person. There shouldn't be anything, there shouldn't be sour Christians. It shouldn't, shouldn't exist. Because if you're sour, it says something about the thing you worship. But if you're rejoicing in good and bad, and joy is flowing out of you, that also says something about who you worship. Right grasping of God through the proper magnification of God will lead to an overwhelming enjoyment of God. I want Harbin's to be a church where we, the generations, converge to what? Enjoy God and then change the world. I want us to spread that joy. This is why magnification is so important. This is why those lenses is so important. This is why you've got to get the right type of magnification in your mind. If we magnify with the wrong lens, we're not going to be overwhelmed with joy. If God's just a little thing to us, that isn't nothing to rejoice about. But if God is huge, and getting a glimpse of him is, is sort of like getting a Hubble telescope getting the glimpse of a, of, a, of a nebula that's far away, but much greater than that, then, then, then we're going to react with proper joy. Let's continue the parallel here, verse 26. Her soul magnifies the Lord, curios, the Lord, in verse 47, her spirit rejoices in God my Savior. And what does Jesus' name mean? We talked about it the last three weeks. God saves. She's, her soul is magnifying the Lord, her Savior. Her soul is magnifying, yes, God the Father, but it's also magnifying God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the God who saves. Notice also that God... Uh, according to her words, is her Savior. Her Savior. Mary thus, by her own words, acknowledges that she is a person in need of what? 
salvation. This goes directly against the Mariology that elevates Mary to some sinless status and makes her a co-redemptrix with Jesus Christ. The doctrine of the Immaculate Conception, if you've heard that word, no, not the Immaculate Reception, Toby, that's different. The Immaculate Conception, most people think, and if I ask most of you, you'd probably say, well, that refers to the conception of Jesus Christ, right? That is not the doctrine that's taught by the Roman Catholic Church. The doctrine that's taught is that that's Mary's conception. The Immaculate Conception, which Immaculate means pure, without sin, without clean, without blemish. The belief is that Mary had to somehow be conceived in a virginal sort of way. And then it has to keep going back through generations. In order for Mary to have a virgin conception, for Jesus to be pure, she had to be pure, according to those teachings. Well, Mary's own words contradict that. She is a woman, a sinner, just as you and I are sinners, in need of a Savior. And so she calls God her Savior. Now, let's move on. Because what follows in verse 49 is the reason. Verse 49 says, for, for, for. This is the reason that she's magnifying and rejoicing in the Lord. And now we get to your notes. Okay, so we magnify and rejoice in our Savior because, number one, he is mighty. As I mentioned, there are five attributes that just sort of jumped off the page at me here. Five attributes of God that just sort of leapt off the page to me. There's probably more here, but we're going to focus on these five. Verse 49. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. God does great things. He is mighty. Nothing is impossible for God, as we read in verse 37 of this chapter. That verse sort of stands over this text with great power. The God of the impossible made Sarah to have a child in Genesis 18:14. The God of the impossible is in the heavens, and he does all that pleases him, according to Psalm 115:3. The God of the impossible is able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask or think, according to Ephesians, according to Paul in the book of Ephesians. And the God of the impossible is able to make sinners come into the kingdom of heaven, something impossible for man but possible with a mighty God. God is indeed mighty to save. Isaiah tells us, Who is this who comes from Edom in crimson garments from Basra? He who is splendid in his apparel, marching in the greatness of his strength. It is I, speaking in righteousness, mighty to save. This is God's word. He is mighty to save. Why does God choose the humble and the weak? In verse 48 it says, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Why does God choose the humble and the weak? Over and over and over again in scripture, he chooses weak people. Why? So that he can demonstrate the power of his might. So that we might not somehow get our eyes fixed on men and women who are used by God and instead keep our eyes on the mighty one of Israel. Let that come through the text here. Mary is weak. She's humble. There are some good things we see from Mary in this text, but in and of herself, she is, has no might, no power. 
She is praising a mighty God. And let our eyes be on the mighty one of Israel. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. This is the Apostle Paul recalling the words of Jesus to him. And Jesus said to him, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest on me. If you want to be used by God mightily, recognize and embrace your weakness. The world says weakness is bad. Weakness is to be hidden, denied, despised, abhorred, deplored, shunned, and spurned. But God says, boast in your weakness, for that's when my might is on full display. And that's what Mary's doing here. She knows she's just a humble 13, 14-year-old girl from a no-name town. I mean, Nazareth was despised. And she was engaged not to one of the higher-ranking people in the town. She was engaged to the carpenter. We have this romantic picture that Joseph was, was making tables all the time. Most scholars believe what a carpenter was was just a repairman. He went around and fixed things that were broken. So when the, when the beam on top of the house begins to collapse, he would go in and take a wedge of wood and fix it for people. He was basically a handyman. She is engaged to the town handyman. And it wasn't much of a town. God takes the weak, the despised, so that his might and glory might be on full display. 1 Corinthians 1, 26. Brothers, we need to be able to say these words about us. If we think we're something, then read what 1 Corinthians 1 says. Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing that things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us the wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. As you read about Mary, boast in the Lord, not Mary. Boast in the Lord. Magnify and rejoice in his might. A mighty fortress is our God. A bulwark never failing. So our God is mighty. But number two. Magnify and rejoice in our Savior because he is holy. Verse 49. Second half of verse 49. Holy is his name. His name is his person. It's his character. His nature. Who he is. He is by his very nature and being Holy, set apart, distinct, unique, pure, perfect, righteous. The child in Mary's womb is the son of the most high God and is therefore holy. Holy God visiting unholy men. Isaiah 57, 15. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is Holy. I will dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is of contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. A holy God demonstrates his might to those who are low, humble, and contrite and broken. 
Blessed are the poor in spirit is what Jesus said. Mary was blessed because Mary was humble, weak, and sinful. And God chose to use her. A holy God visited her in power and did a work in her. We are blessed only when in brokenness we repent and acknowledge our sin. And in the total weakness of our depravity before a holy and righteous God. And in humility turn to the Holy Son of God alone. And by faith embrace his work on our behalf. And in doing so become united to him. So that we can be holy as our heavenly father is holy. This is God magnifying. You might think that the more I talk about our depravity. The more I talk about our sinfulness. The more I talk about our weakness. You might be sitting out there saying man. You're putting a dent in our self-esteem to which I say, yes, let your self-esteem be obliterated. This is God magnifying. If there's any part of us that we can magnify, then we're robbing from God. The lens is totally focused on God. And the reason I subscribe, let me say this loud and clear. The reason I subscribe to a theological structure and thought that declares that all men are spiritually dead, totally depraved, and unable to do any good on their own is, number one, because it's utterly biblical. It's in this book, and I'm going to believe it until I'm dead. Number two, it most magnifies God and least magnifies me. May he increase and may we decrease. The picture the Bible gives us about God's holy work in the lives of sinners is this. Well, I'll tell you first what it's not. It's not that we were drowning in a sea of our sin and that God threw a life preserver to us. And that we somehow reached up and grabbed that life preserver and he pulled us in. That is not an adequate picture of salvation. Because you raising your hand and grabbing onto that life preserver is way much more glory than you and I deserve. Because what the scriptures say clearly, and I will show them to you as much as I need to, that we were dead in our trespasses. We were a corpse floating in the, sin, in the, in the, in the ocean of our sinfulness. And Jesus jumped in. Brought us to shore, revived us in such a way that he died in the process, and then we became alive. That's the gospel. That's what's in this book. And I will stand on that gospel until I die. I will not back down because it's in the word. And I want to be like Mary in the sense that I believe what the Lord said. I believe what he said. Can I explain it all? No. But I know what the word says. God is holy. He deserves all of the magnification. I am sinful. And I was once dead in my trespasses. And I deserve none of it. Psalm 99 says, Let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is he. The king in his might loves justice. You have established equity. You have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. Exalt the Lord our God. Worship at his footstool. Holy is he. And because the Lord is holy, we get to number three. He is just. He is mighty. He is holy. And he is just. Verse 51 Mary continues, he has shown strength with his arm, with his arm. 
He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He is a mighty and powerful God whose arm is not too small. And he has an arm that reaches out in justice. And he judges sin. The Old Testament is filled with references to God's arm or his outstretched arm, which refers to his power and his might and his ability to execute justice. Psalm 89 tells us that he scatters his enemies with a mighty arm. God is just. He judges the hearts of all men. And he pours out right judgment on all sin. On all sin. God will judge all sin. God will not overlook one single sin. God will not overlook one white lie. He will not overlook one adulterous relationship. Not one sin will God overlook. He will pour out his justice because he's holy and he's mighty. And he will pour it out on every single sin. Now for those who are in Christ Jesus, we can look upon the judgment of God with awe and with fear, but also with peace and with joy, knowing that God's right and just judgment against our sin was absorbed by someone else on our behalf. Isn't that glorious? Does that not get you excited? If we don't have a proper understanding of God's justice, then the good news isn't as good as it needs to be to us. If we think we're just okay and our list of sins really wasn't that bad and we don't comprehend that one white lie against the sovereign God deserves an eternity of his wrath being poured out upon you. If we don't get that, then we don't, you can't have joy in this. We have to understand holiness and justice. And when we do and we understand that Jesus stood in our place and absorbed the wrath of God on behalf of all of those who are his... When we understand that, well, then we have peace and joy. We have the fruit of the Spirit just popping up. We can't help it. Christ stood in our place and took the wrath against our sin. As his skin tore, as splinters from the cross embedded themselves into his raw flesh, as his lungs filled up with blood, as his joints became unhinged, as the thorns sank deeper into his brow, as foreign objects were nailed into his hands and into his feet, causing swelling and throbbing and tearing, as tears of pain and tears of sadness streamed from his bruised, swollen eyes, our sin was being paid for. God's justice is not light. God's justice is not light. A politician this week got a mistrial after charges of his covering up adultery with taxpayer money were, were dropped because of a mistrial. Well, with God, there is no mistrial. Justice will be served. Either it has been meted out and served on the cross... Or it will be in an eternity in hell. There is no third option. There is no hung jury. There is no get out of jail free card. Either you are in Christ by belief, by faith in him. Or you are in hell by unbelief. Those are the two options. 
There's no hung jury with God. His justice will be served. Unbelief is simply pride. Mary goes on to sing that he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. At the root of all sin, at the root of all unbelief is pride. And pride is high treason against the rightful king. Belief or faith in Christ involves humility. 1 Peter 5 says, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Mary goes on in verse 52, he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. The only way to come to God is in absolute humility and brokenness. There's no other way. Daniel 2 says, blessed be the name of God forever and ever to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. That's sort of the theme all over the book of Daniel. I love the book of Daniel. It's all about God removing and setting up kings. And it projects into the future. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Magnify God for his might. Magnify God and rejoice in him for his holiness. Magnify God and rejoice in him for his justice. And also magnify and rejoice in our Savior because he is merciful. He is merciful. He is a merciful God. The cross is where we see justice and mercy intersect. Think of the cross beams. Justice and mercy intersect at the cross. Exodus 34, 5. When Moses made a very bold request to see God. It's a pretty bold request. We need to grasp that when we sing songs like, open the eyes of my heart, I want to see you. And we just sort of do it in a half-hearted way. Open the eyes of my heart, I want to see you. I want to see you. What, what are we having for lunch? Do you really want to see the holy God, the all-consuming fire? We can come to God with boldness through Jesus Christ our Lord. We can come to the throne of grace with boldness and request bold requests before our God. But it is not a light thing. So Moses asked to see God. Verse 5 of Exodus 34, the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. Remember earlier, the name means character, person. This is what God is all about. Verse 6 of Exodus 34, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed. He's going to proclaim his name, his character, his nature. Here we go. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children, to the third and fourth generation. And Moses, according to verse 8 of that chapter, and Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. Those words should make us, boom, quickly get on our face and worship. Because I'm sure Moses was overwhelmed. Wait a second, God, you forgive sin? You, 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 you do all of this, of this forgiving of sin? And you keep your love for forever, and yet you don't overlook sin? God, how does that happen? It happens at the cross. That's where the justice and the mercy of God intersects. That's where it happens. Where the just wrath of God is fully meted out, 
For those who are believers, it's meted out upon a substitute, Jesus. And where the mercy of God is fully poured out. For those who are believers, it's poured out upon them through Jesus. That should make us bow our head to the earth and worship. From generation to generation, God has saved those who fear him, who put their faith in his salvation. There's only one place to look, Harbins, the cross. The perfect mercy and love of God on display, as well as the perfect full wrath and justice of God. To those who recognize their sin and their depravity and their spiritual poverty and their emptiness, the Lord gives mercy. Verse 53, let's continue to sing with Mary. He has filled the hungry with good things. Oh friend, are you hungry this morning? Don't come to the Lord with a full belly. Don't come to the Lord with a full belly of the world's pleasures. Your cable TV, your house, your cars, and say, you know what, I'm pretty satisfied. That is not the kind of person that is saved. The kind of person that is saved by the mercy of God says, none of this stuff satisfies. It's empty cisterns. I want something better. I want a treasure. I want Jesus Christ. I am hungry. So fill me, Lord. That's how we come to the cross, to be filled with God. Hungry. Friend, no eye has seen and no ear has heard nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. God has something in store for you. And if you're a believer, you're just beginning to taste it. So I hope you're still hungry. I hope my preaching doesn't fill you up enough. I hope you are hungry and you want more and more and you dream of that day, that day that no eye has seen or that no one has even been able to comprehend when God has in store for us a new heavens and a new earth and forever bliss with him. Woo! I'm excited about it and I'm hungry for it. See and savor Jesus Christ. Taste and see that the Lord is good. I'm about to trip over my shoestring. I'm so uh, wacky today. All right. See and savor that the Lord is good. Taste and see. But for those who find something of worth in themselves before God, who think somehow they can earn God's mercy, or they have earned God's mercy, or at least they did something to get God's mercy right. At least I was smart enough to choose him, right? Smarter than those aborigines out there. I at least chose God. My friends, this is why I stand on the doctrines I talked about earlier. That is not how the Bible talks about us coming to God. Those who are filled with themselves, prideful, arrogant, haughty, boastful, and in their own minds, rich and full. To those, according to Mary here, he has sent away empty. And the wrath of God remains upon them. For they have all fallen away. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good. No, not one. There is none who does good. Your filthy rags, I mean, your righteous deeds are like what? Filthy rags. You see, even when we think we've done something, we ain't done nothing. It's all about him. God is mighty and holy. And to those who see themselves as mighty, well, he's brought down and he's sent away empty. But to those who fear him, there's great mercy Mercy because, after all, he is a merciful and faithful God who remembers his promises. And so my last point is this. Magnify and rejoice in our Savior because he is faithful. Verse 54, continue 
Mary's singing here. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Remember, God had not spoken to Israel in 400 years. There were 400 years of silence before that angel appeared to John the Baptist. Before Gabriel popped onto the scene and spoke, not appeared to John the Baptist, appeared to Zechariah. Before then, 400 years with no word from God, no prophets, no miracles, and now all of a sudden, boom, word. The word is on the scene. The word made flesh is on the scene. Word of the Father, word made flesh, spirit moving, God is faithful. He's keeping his promises. And the ultimate demonstration of his promise keeping and his faithfulness is this little baby... In the womb of Mary, who at this point, what, is maybe a couple of weeks old. This little baby is the one who holds all the promises of God and they all find their yes in him. That's why through him we utter our amen to God for his glory. Psalm 98 says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. And of course we know that not all of those who are descended from the house of Israel are of the house of Israel according to the scriptures. Not all who are Abraham's children are really Abraham's children according to the scriptures. But those of faith. Belief. Therefore God is faithful. And he's faithful to the true children of Israel. The Israel of God. Those saved by his grace alone. Through faith alone. In Jesus Christ alone. His promises to his people. His true children. Have not failed. Nor will they ever. They will never fail. And so Mary finishes her song. It's a beautiful song. It really is. Top ten. Top, top song in the nation. Top song in the world, perhaps. It says, and Mary remained with her about three months and then returned home. Remember, she went to Elizabeth's house when Elizabeth was six months pregnant. So, do the math. She stays three more months. When John the Baptist comes, when the one who was to come first and announce the arrival of the son, when he comes, she heads back home. What about you? What about us? Can we worship and sing this song with Mary this morning? Do we magnify him? Have we got the wrong lens going on here? Do we have the proper lens to magnify God? Do you magnify and rejoice in him? Because you can talk some pretty lofty things about God. But do you magnify him and does that result in just joy? Happiness? If you're not a Christian this morning, my friends, you cannot sing this song, for you don't know God rightly. You may have some ideas about God. You know he's mighty. You might even heard that he's a big bully in the sky, and so you, have, you think that you understand his justice. But you don't know God. You don't know a God you can rejoice in. Because you see, this is the gospel. He is a mighty God, mighty to save. But my friends, he's not just your buddy in the heavens. 
He is a holy and just God. And he will not just overlook your sin. Your sin has to be dealt with. And so if after verse number, after number three right there, if after you understand the justice of God, you turn to God and repent of your sin and believe in Jesus Christ alone for the salvation of your sins, then you will experience that, yes, he is a merciful God. And the sins that deserve to send you to hell have been washed away. He is a merciful God. And he will be faithful to you to the very end of the age. He is mighty, he is holy, he is just, and he is merciful, and he is faithful. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes as we finish this morning. We're going to finish with a song. Right now, let's pray. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, if there's anyone here this morning that needs to talk to me more about that, how am I made right with a just and holy God? I will be happy to sit right up here in the front and talk with you. At the end of this service, you can come down here and talk to me during this song, or we can talk after the service. But right now, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you. We ask, Lord, that you would stir up our hearts with joy. These truths about you, these five attributes, and there's more about you in these verses than, than I'm able to even expound upon. But these five attributes enough should cause us to rejoice should cause us to rejoice. And if it doesn't, then Father, I pray that you'd cause us to examine our hearts and to see what's wrong. Because there's something wrong. There's some wires loose. There's a disconnect. If the glories of the nature and the character of God don't stir up joy and passion in our hearts. So God, do a work in all of our hearts. This time, Lord, we want to respond to you. We want it to be for all of us to respond. And we want your spirit to move in us. We can't respond without your spirit moving. Fools we are if we stand here and think, yeah, I can respond to the word. Oh, Lord, we need your spirit to cause us to respond. To see and to savor and then rejoice. So, Lord, we pray that you move in our hearts as we sing this song. Move in our hearts as we bring our prayer requests. As we bring our tithes and offerings. And if there be anyone here, Lord, who needs to talk about their eternal security and their salvation by putting their hope and their faith and their trust in you, then I pray, Lord, they come and speak to me this morning. Or speak to one of the other members of our church this morning. We'd be happy to share with them the truths, the further truths and the greater in-depth understanding of the gospel. So we pray all of this in the precious name of that baby, that person in the womb of Mary who would one day be born and would grow up just like the rest of us, who would experience pain and tiredness and everything else, and who would one day willingly lay himself down upon a splintered cross to take the wrath of God on behalf of his people. It's in that name that we pray. Amen.